This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This animated wooden Pinocchio goes out into the world and is supposed to do all the things he's supposed to do, like go to school, get an education, be good, uh, but actually has far more fun, essentially running away to join the circus. Uh, And there are crickets and fairies, and in this version, the underworld as well. Uh, Oh, and Mussolini's in this. (laughs) (laughs) It does sit in a strange space, but the animation is just so delightful that it would be a shame for you not to see it. I was spellbound by the whole thing. It was just this incredibly beguilingly weird version of a story that I thought I knew very well, and it was able to shine new lights on some of the themes in a way which I thought was really extraordinary. Hello everyone, joining Flixwatcher today we have Tom. Hello. Rob. Hello. And as always Kobe. Hiya. And we're here to talk about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Is that how you say it? Well you can say it like that. (laughs) Thank you as always to the mighty people for their mighty mighty tunes and thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to FlixWatcher Podcast. Our guests today are Tom and Rob. Over to you please Rob to say hello and tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do please. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on. Um, also kind of nervous to talk to you guys, but it's yeah, it's just I'm happy to talk to movies with everyone and anyone. Um, Don't be afraid of us, Robert. You you speak to like important film people about the amazing work they do. We are we're just we're just film fans. I don't, I don't say just we are. No, I, I get nervous talking to anybody and everyone because it's just oh. it's just it's just one of those things where you're excited to be. It's like. You're excited to be here, and but you also don't want to say the wrong thing, and you just want to sound like you have something intelligent to say as well. Uh, well, tell us about your podcast, which I alluded to. Um, so I host a podcast called Creative Industry Insight, um, where I sit down with various um, crew members uh, that work in film and TV, and sometimes we branch out to books as well. I've had an author on. And we just talk about their work on individual projects or talk about their careers. I quite like being able to pick a film from what's out recently or TV show and kind of just dive into people's work and what goes into creating what they do. But then also like trying to let people know what various jobs or roles are like, 
because you see so many names and credits and then you say you'll see like what what does a standby carpenter do for example or what does a set decorator do and i think it's just a great opportunity to sort of share people celebrate people's work but then also uh, enlighten people at the same time when you have a podcast about film and tv it's always you always the kind of standard thing is to have the a star of the of the of the of the show or maybe the director um, but I think you get so many fascinating stories if you just scratch that little bit further down the surface to the below the line people. Um, and even that, sometimes that means that the, the script writer, for example, if they are the standard, if they're not the director, producer or um, star of the show, of the film. And that's where I think your, your podcast comes to life. Um, when we did one project with um, His Dark Materials, the, the most fascinating person to speak to was the VFX supervisor, Russell Dodson, who... Like talked about how they dis- how they made the uh, the demons and why they chose different versions of the demons from the book and how they made the the polar bears and and you're like wow this is this is great and then you then you speak to Ruth Wilson and she's fascinating but also also I've heard her speak many times elsewhere before so I'm I'm like happy speaking to these other guys who are a bit more um at the at the cold face of some of the film productions so yeah it's great I, I think those people are on the front line in terms of um the creativity obviously obviously you've got the stars and directors but i think it's it takes a whole army to make a film or tv show Mm. so and those people come in and execute the vision that's required um i think i think as well you kind of understand what each person's role is in the pre-production production and post um post-production as well um and even those when you're seeing stuff on uh, things on screen, it's like the thought process of why do they wear a yellow jacket or what is the thinking behind them doing a roly poly and then all the training that somebody has to go through for stunts or even the yeah. choice of uh, set uh, set design and making things look authentic for the 1930s. Tom, who are you? Uh, my name's Tom Selinski, and I am a playwright and a corporate coach and a podcast producer. And I have my own movie podcast called Best Pick uh, with two other friends. And that's on a sort of indefinite hiatus at the moment. But we began by watching every film that had won Best Picture at the Academy Awards in an order determined by pulling them out of a hat at random. Uh, and that archive is still there. So if you want to go back and listen to 94 previous episodes, then feel free to do that. You also have a great book. Yeah. And we turned it into a book, yes. Uh, a History of Hollywood and the Academy Awards. So that's available at all fantastic Where, uh, ever bookshops. Books are sold. Uh, exactly. Yes. Um, one thing I was going to say, so Inside of Baseball, guys, we're recording this. It's the 7th of March. Uh, the Academy Awards are going to be this in a few days' time. So whatever we say now is likely to be wrong, but we're going to be talking about um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, let's focus. It's, it's not the best pick category, but it's nominated there for the best animation. And the, oh, let's get the let's get the list of the animated contenders: we have Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with shoes on, Puss in Boots. Those are the three I've seen in this: uh, the Sea Beast and Turning Red. What are your thoughts on those guys, those films as a as a as a list? And where do you think Pinocchio uh, may land? Pinocchio seemed to be the front runner for a long time, uh, but a lot of people do like Marcel the Shell with shoes on. And then I've mm. just in the last week or two, I've been hearing lots of people saying, Puss in Boots is really good. No, no, seriously, mm. it's actually good. Uh, so having kind of dismissed that one, uh, I think I might have to go and see it now. Uh, I have seen Turning Red, which is very nice. 
Uh, I don't think he's going to revamp the rule book in any way, uh, but it's very nice. It's the it's the Pixar it's the Pixar nomination, yeah. isn't it? It's the standard yeah, yeah. Pixar nomination. I think it's quite the best way to describe the film. Yeah, it's very nice. Um, <laughs> I I haven't I, the only one I've seen is Pinocchio, um, and I've heard good things about Puss in Boots. I really want to see Mar- Marcel the sh- the shirt with shoes on. I think that is something that I'll have to sort of DVD it later on down the line. I've heard good things about the Sea Beast, but I think Pinocchio is more than likely the front runner, and I think that it will uh, it will win. Please don't shout at me if you if I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> shout at him, guys <laughs> at CII Podcast on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Hit that follow button Helen. as well. <laughs> You're not super animated person, are you, Helen? I haven't. Uh, so I've seen Turning Red, which. Yeah, is very nice. And uh, Marcel, I was all ready to go and see Marcel, and it came and it went, and it's it's not on anymore. So um, that was probably the one that um, I I was willing to watch. Whereas um, I I I do love cats, but I'm not really into the Shrek stuff. So I haven't I haven't seen the first Puss in Boots. I assume there is a first one. I don't really know much about these films. Um, so I'm probably not going to see not, the next one. You're not a completist when it comes to the Shrek cinematic universe. <laughs> oh, no, please don't. So, um, yeah, I mean, if Pinocchio wouldn't, I think it, it would be great. So, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. The Oscars are just a bit wild this year, I think. Anything could happen. Yeah, I've seen Marcel and I thought it is absolutely delightful. And... Um, it, it, it borders on animation, but I think it's, I think, I think it's just incredibly inventive. Um, and I'd be happy if that one, um, Puss in Boots 2, I like the first Puss in Boots film. I, I watched the second one, but with my kid who's not yet three and we had to leave about 30 minutes from the end, but it was, it was astonishing, but they've, they've taken a lot from what, um, Spider-Man to Spider-Verse has done. So, you know. They kind of had me at hello in terms of a lot of the what's presented there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, I'd love Marcel to win. I think um, that's well. We'll discuss what my thoughts on Pinocchio are going forward. So, Tom, why did you pick Pinocchio for the choice? And um, give give the synopsis for anyone who doesn't know <laughs> in sixty seconds or less. A couple of reasons why I picked it. Uh, I'm a big fan of the 1940 Disney version, which I think is just an unparalleled achievement. It's one of the most beautiful pieces of animation that's that's ever been put on film. And to have done it so early in the process, it was the second animated feature that the Disney Studios made Mm. after Snow White. And it's an extraordinary evolution of the art form. But I also have fond memories of reading the book when I was only about, like, must have been about seven or eight uh, in translation, I'm not quite that precocious, uh, but uh, so I was already exposed to two different, two quite different tellings of the story, and then a couple mm. of people I knew just came back absolutely raving about this version, and I can blow hot and cold with Guillermo del Toro. I think he's yet to do anything which is quite as good as Pan's Labyrinth, but I was kind of interested to see this, and so when it came up, I picked it, having not seen it before the invitation to come on here. Okay, and time must start now. Uh, All right, well, so as you said, in case anyone doesn't know, uh, this is the story of uh, Geppetto, uh, who in this version of the tale is grief-stricken 
because mm-hmm. his little boy Carlo is killed in uh, a, a bombing raid, and uh, he discovers that the wooden boy, the marionette essentially that he creates to take the place of his departed child, has a life of it, his own. And um, this animated wooden Pinocchio goes out into the world and is supposed to do all the things he's supposed to do, like go to school, get an education, be good, uh, but actually has far more fun, essentially running away to join the circus uh, and then has to uh, rescue his father at the end in order to prove himself worthy. Uh, And there are crickets and fairies, and in this version, the underworld as well. Uh, Oh, and Mussolini's in this. (laughs) A little cameo. I mean, it's fair to say, I mean, your thoughts on Pinocchio and on the previous versions of any versions of Pinocchio you've read or seen. And also there's the Robert Zemeckis version, which is very much supposed to be quite close to the ori- original quote unquote Disney version. So if anyone's yeah. seen that, it'd be great to hear there's their opinions Roberto on that Benini as well. version as well, which got apparently terrible reviews. Uh, so uh, <laughs> my, my sense is that of the many versions out there, the two that are worth watching are this one and the 1940 version. Yeah, so I understand. <laughs> Helen. So I, I have seen the Disney one, but I haven't seen it lots. It's not one of those that I've seen loads. So um, this, yeah, I, it's it's a bit of a wild one. This one, <laughs> I, uh, it's quite dark. It's very dark, um, and obviously animation is not just for kids. But um, I don't think I was quite expecting it to be maybe quite as somber as well it's quite sad it's mm. like really sad it starts off like really 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 sad um uh, the death of a child and um kind of the grief process and he's very very angry um but then also Ewan McGregor plays a penniless writer in in the form of a cricket um which uh, I, th- I thought was quite funny and uh Kate Blanchett is a monkey in it and um oh is that Kate Blanchett okay yeah she she was <laughs> provides the, the voice of the monkey. Um, and it's just, it's visually very, very, very beautiful. Um, I think it's maybe a tad bit long and suffers from sort of a bit of a extended end, end, ending, sort of stretched out a bit a bit far. But overall, I, w- I quite enjoyed it. Um, I probably, I don't know if I would have watched it had you not picked it. So, um, I mean, I'm glad you picked it. Some bits were a bit uneven, but overall, I I, th- I thought visually it was um, a real delight. Uh, Robert? I do blow hot and cold on Del Toro's films. I think some of them can be quite good. Some of them can be a bit not my really cup of tea. Um, I think with Pinocchio, the first half felt very uneven and it felt more like five minutes of child episodes kind of cut together. And it kind of felt like little snippets of a film and it didn't feel it didn't feel like that it all flowed very well. I like the intro um of Geppetto with his son Carlo and the whole build up to it. Obviously what happens is very sad um when the bombing raid happens. But then when you get the introduction of Pinocchio and it's just a bit I don't know, it it, it doesn't know what it wants to be in a way. But then the second half comes in and I really sort of, it does pick up and it kind of owns what it, it owns itself as a story and the sort of direction it wants to take. But I am a massive sucker and big fan of stop motion animation. Like, how can you not love it? And then also the little intricate details that you see that will go into it, like when Geppetto's hair is in the wind and you kind of mm. have to think, 
somebody probably spent four weeks just moving his hair <laughs> a little bit at a time just for that effect um, to come to life. I heard Del Toro interviewed about the making of this film. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but in order to get a stop motion film like this made, it's so time consuming and labor intensive. The only way of doing it is to have, in this case, I think it was about 30 or 40 different animators working on different sets simultaneously, effectively sort of 30 or 40 units. Uh, And uh, he said there was one animator who spent two years working on one set. He didn't say which set it was, but that was, that was this animator's like two years out of their career working on not just one film, but one set. Just extraordinary. I think they've got, they had the same, I think they had copies of the same set so they could be working on, yeah, multiple scenes and, and, and I mean, and it's copies just, of the same puppet and so on and so on. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's a, it's astonishing what this looks like. And at the moment, my kids into Wallace and Gromit, which I think is amazing. Um, but you know, a grand day out, Nick Park made that by himself as like a as a side project, and still, it's astonishing what it is there. But the intricacy, like Geppetto's beard, I'm just like, what, dude? Why have you gone to the effort of animating his beard? But there's that that kind of level of due care and attention is where Guillermo del Toro um, kind of shines through. And like I say, his films can be hot and cold, but whenever there's a film, whenever there's a film that says Guillermo del Toro is this, it's something you got to watch to see what's kind of going on under there. For me, I never, I never really liked the Pinocchio. I never really liked Pinocchio. I always thought he was a bit of a git. <laughs> I didn't understand why he did all the things he did. Um, and in this, the story is no real different, but it does hit hard. And the Geppetto, uh, Carlos at the start, um, it's not as, it's not as teary, tearful as, um, the start of Up, for example, but it's, it's a hard start to a film. Um, and you, and the grief that drives Geppetto all the way through is, is really something visceral. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really dark. I didn't, I don't think I got on that well with it, but at the same time, I watched it thinking this, I mean, it's as a crafts piece, it's astonishing. It's, I can see why it's nominated. Um, will I watch it again? I don't know. Well, we'll come to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait for the repeat viewing scores. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to give a shout out to Gregory Mann, not an actor I was familiar with, but he's the voice of Pinocchio. And oh, okay. uh, especially compared to uh, these, some of these other incarnations, this reading of Pinocchio, this version, is so kind of wildly unpredictable. This mm. complete ball of energy and the combination of this very, very spirited vocal performance and this amazing animation. I get what Rob's saying, that the kind of directionless quality that the narrative has, but I think that's the quality which Pinocchio is injecting into Geppetto's life, which had a very predictable quality. This will happen, then this will happen, this will happen. Most days will be the same. And when Pinocchio arrives, suddenly there is no predictability at all. There's no pattern. And that can be frustrating, as I get that, as, as you're watching. But I was I was spellbound by the whole thing. I was spellbound, firstly, by the fact that this is a story about a piece of wood that becomes animated, which has been brought to us through the medium of animating pieces of wood, or I don't know what they make these puppets out of, resin or plastic, <laughs> or I don't know. Uh, but also, it was just this incredibly beguilingly weird version of a story that I thought I knew very well. And it was able to shine new lights on some of the themes in a way which I thought was really extraordinary. Uh, when you when you love a story, it can be really challenging to see somebody reinterpret it. And it has to be done with a combination, I think, of reverence, understanding what makes that story work in the first place, but also 
you've got to drive it like you stole it. You know, you can't uh, you can't afford to uh, to just pussyfoot around. All you're doing is tracing over the lines. And what's the point? How does it compare to the book, as far as you remember, in terms of there's some storylines which certainly weren't in the in the Disney film, which is my main comparison. So I apologise if it's uh, uh, not the best one, but the you know the storyline setting against the backdrop of World War Two. Yeah, which was, was 60 years, I think, in the future by the time the book was written. Oh, right. okay. The book is so, written in the 1880s. I, I, I think that's right. It's, it's sort of, it's the Guillermo del Toro you know, sausage machine, isn't it? Uh, so yeah. uh, insert fairy tale here, add fascism, out the other end, Guillermo <laughs> del Toro. What, what about the kind of grief aspects of, of uh, Geppetto? Because in, in the Disney version, first one, he's kind of like, oh, I'll just make this thing. Uh, can it be a boy? Can it be real? Yeah, as far as cool. I remember um, in the book, I think... Yeah, they, that's one of those things. It's kind of latent in the story. Like, why doesn't he have a family? Where, where has mm. the rest of his family gone? It's never addressed. I think in the book, if I remember rightly, uh, there's a, a, a tree or part of a tree that seems to have a life of its own. And I think it's Geppetto's neighbours, because they know he's a, he's a woodcarver, bring him this and say, what's going on? And when then when he carves it into a boy, it comes to life. I think that's the way it works. But the book is right. very episodic. And so Disney did what Disney often does with properties like this and just completely streamlined it. So um, there is a character of the cricket, but again, if I remember rightly, uh, Pinocchio accidentally kills it very early on and then way later it comes back as like a ghost cricket. Uh, But there are other friends he meets along the way who kind of play similar roles from time to time. And so Disney just sort of scrapped all of them and went just for the cricket. Mm. Uh, and uh, deleted countless episodes and softened others. You know, we're not really supposed to be talking about the Disney film, but the Disney company was accused of scaring children because the scene, uh, which is really not in this film at all, where the boys turn into donkeys, was thought so horrifying that children were being born out of the theatre in tears. Um, But in the book, it's even worse. In the book, (laughs) Pinocchio turns completely into a donkey uh, and then is is drowned by the man who bought him. I mean, it's just, it's black as pitch. Fucking hell. And this, the guy that, the guy that sells into the circus or, or um, manipulates him into, into the performance, his, his storyline here was, yeah, I mean, I can't think of any lightness to the film, uh, really, was there? Uh, I, I mean, the end for Pinocchio, um, Sebastian and Geppetto was like, a, they've, they've lived their lives and it kind of ends up happily. But this, the cricket, um, sorry, the the ringmaster person um, was dark. Mussolini being in the film <laughs> nominally in any way, shape or form is horrifically dark. Um, but but I it's guess got songs in, in it. So it's, so it's happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's got, I mean, it's got... The one thing I didn't like was those terrible songs. I'm sorry, they are <laughs> awful. Uh, I can't hum a single one and uh, I didn't want them in my ears when I was listening to them. Uh, that's the one, the one era. Is, is, is there a score section for music? Because if so, I'm going to mark this way the hell down. <laughs> it didn't Maybe need them, did it? Just for you. It didn't no. need them. I was a bit like, oh, it's music. And there was only, was there only two of them as well? So it's, it's like, so what, are, you, are you making a musical or are, you, or are you not kind of thing? I think there was three or four. I think the my son song okay, was, uh, I, I, I find that quite catchy. Even now, I was tempted to sing a little bit but I don't no, want don't. to. <laughs> but I don't. I don't want this turning into the voice where no one turns around to talk to me. Um, but I think I it. I was kind of mentally preparing myself for the donkey scene 
uh, in this, yes, in this well. uh, sort of uh, adaptation because I was thinking, wow, like this is going to be really, really heavy and dark because it, it in a, a live action version, it's like the most, it's probably like one of the most petrifying things I saw as a child. And it's the sort of thing that gave would give you nightmares. And then it's like, it was sort of thing. It was like, well, I better listen to my parents and not run away from them because <laughs> I'm going to turn into a donkey and then who knows what might happen to me. Um, but is it me or did you and McGregor feel slightly miscast in this? I was like, oh, so you and McGregor's in this. I didn't look at any of the cast members, but I was like, that, that's you and McGregor as Renton. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just um, felt he I like, wasn't I like great. Ian McGregor. It, um, yeah, I, I love you, McGregor. This, um, uh, the, the, the star uh, vocal performance, I think, apart from uh, Pinocchio himself, is David Bradley, who I just think is just superb as Geppetto. I can kind of take, I know what you mean, I, I can take or leave you and McGregor, honestly. Yeah. But uh, they, they don't really find a way for the crickets to influence the story. In the Disney version, he's given this role of being Pinocchio's conscience. Here he's a little mm. bit along for the ride. It's almost like, well, people are going to expect there to be a cricket, so I suppose you better stick one in and we'll get you and McGregor to do it. I don't think he was miscast, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't think he earns his place in the narrative. He's the light comedy, isn't he? He gets squished and yes. gets He gets squished multiple times. Stuff. I was like, come on, not again. <laughs> Sorry, Karen. Are we sure he's a cricket and not a cockroach? At times he got squished and came back. <laughs> Yeah, David Bradley's an interesting one because this would, everyone will know him. You might not know his name, but you'll see his face. And, oh, I know that guy from everything and nothing at the same time. So it's, this would almost be like a star making turn for him if it was a, was a live action film. Um, so, but the fact you've got his voice here driving it is, is interesting because now you think oh, he's actually got a really good uh, intonation voice and the, you know, intern voice. And I'm, I'm interested to see why Guillermo did um, cast him against other people who are perhaps more well-known and well could have maybe driven the the promotion of the film a bit more. Um, most people perhaps know him as Man, um, Walder Frey in Game of Thrones, for example, but he's, he's got he's got many, many, his IMDb list is like insanely long. Um, so yeah, thanks Don for, for picking up on that. And I think it was the heart, it was, here's the heart and soul of it, where in the other versions, Pinocchio is the is the main kind of leading light of the film, isn't it? And it's the the character of death who kind of mm, serves a similar role. And that's complex. It's one of those things that it fits the story so well that if you told me it was in the novel and I just forgot about it, I would believe you. But I'm pretty convinced I'm right when I say that's that's all Del Toro. That's all been invented for this film, and it works so well. And it's such an interesting way of dealing with this idea of this character who is both alive and not alive, and he wants to. Mm ascend to this sort of higher realm of being a real boy instead of a wooden boy. It all just works beautifully. It has that great fairy tale logic where it makes no sense at all, and yet at the time it makes absolute perfect sense. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, 
in terms of other animated, sorry, stop motion films, what 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 else kind of is up there for you guys? Uh, Robert, you said you you said you can't you you know you you want for stop motion. I think obviously the go to one is Wallace and Gromit. That is something that's like been um, part of my life since I was young. I remember yep. recording all f- at the time all three um, episodes of Wallace and Gromit, and then great, great to have. You could put them all on the same VHS and bish bash bosh. But, but you know, you had like the tab on a VHS that when you break it, you can't record over it. So I deliberately yeah. broke it so no one could ever record of over course. that. So I'd have that all the time. <laughs> of course, what are you talking about? Um, so there's that. There's also like a studios. Um, they produce mm. uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, uh, Missing Link, um, Coraline. Coraline as well. Um, Coraline's amazing. And maybe you could say Mr. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and... Um, so where's Adam's yeah, the, um, the Isle, Isle of Dogs. Dogs? Yes. I don't know. I just feel like there's there's a certain art to it where I think because you know that it takes so long that it you appreciate what's presented on to you on screen more because you know how painstakingly uh, it hard it was for people to do it, but how much effort and like love goes into these sort of films. I think that's what kind of drove me through it because if, if this was an obvious CGI film, I don't think I would have engaged in it as much. Um, but I think you, once you, once you have a, a slight inkling of the craft that goes into it and the effort goes into it, I think it, you can't not stop and like pay attention. Um, what about yourself, Tom and Helen? Other a lot of the, stop motion. Films? A lot of the big hitters have been mentioned, but I want to. Uh, uh, um, there's a film called Marion Max from Australia, right. uh, which I remember watching years ago. Which is all again. It's kind of like this. It's not really for kids, uh, but it's uh, it's full of extraordinary images. And again, it's quite kind of. It's quite sad. It's quite sweet. I don't remember a lot about the plot now, but I just remember the name and I remember kind of how it made me feel. Well, that's a lot about film. If, yeah. if you remember a film, just, just about how it makes you feel viscerally, that's that's an, that's, uh, that's astonishing. Uh, Helen? Yeah, I think we've um, mentioned them all. The the Wes Anderson ones are super cute and um, just really fun and playful. Um did anyone else happen to watch the the making of documentary that started straight after on Netflix? Oh no, um, no. Um, I, it, it started to autoplay, and um, it's it's great. It's really really fascinating, and uh, I, they they talk about the different studios because they were split across different countries as well. He, oh. he had to set them up in yeah. like different countries, and they they talk about how it was really really difficult to animate. Uh, Carlo, Carlo, Carlos, Carlos, um, Carlo the boy. Yeah, because he he didn't have any like hair on his face, so he had a very smooth face, and it was really difficult to add emotions and expressions on such a smooth face. It's really, 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 really fascinating, and um, you get to meet some of kind of like the the lead people behind the characters, and um, this world certainly attracts a type of person. You've got to be a specific <laughs> type to really be into kind of puppets and making the small things move in a certain way. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely I assume you can just find it on there. But, yeah, it comes up afterwards yeah, as well. It, I think that's even more astonishing in that there's a consistency. At no point did I think it wasn't done animated by the same hands. 
Um, when you said that initially, Tom, about it being copies of it, I just assumed there was like one big warehouse that everyone went in at the same day and like they did, it, but like across different countries, that's insane to have a consistency. So, you know, fair play. I, I think, yeah, Kubo and the Two Strings is my favourite uh, stop, stop frame animation that's, uh, that's come out recently. I just find that absolutely delightful. I don't know how Guillermo did it, but I know that um, Peter Lord and the Ardman team, I know what they do for directing is once they've mm. got the vocal tracks, they will act out on primitive sets what they think the action should look like and then give that to yeah. the animators as a, as a starting point, as a, as a guide. Uh, because uh, how, how else can you direct 40 units all working simultaneously? <laughs> uh, again, it's, 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 one, it's like, um, like the Planet of the Apes series, um, which the last two films were by Matt Reeves, where I didn't enjoy them specifically, but I really, really admired what went into them. And I was just like, I think this is a similar thing for me. I was like, really, really admire the film. Will I take it to my heart? I don't think so. But on that, unless there's anything else, guys, let's go to the scores and see what you guys thought as well uh, in the numbers. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song, and Kobe from Flixwatcher, and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast, or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. So welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. All of the scores are out of five. You can have decimal places if you wish. And we'll start with you, please, Tom, with your recommendability. This is tough. I mean, this is a film I absolutely adored, but I don't entirely know who it's for because it's too dark for kids and it might seem too sort of childish and whimsical for a lot of adults. There definitely are people I'd recommend it to, uh, but I think it would be quite a tough sell. So I think probably three. Fair enough. Robert? Um, yeah, you kind of took the uh, score out of my mouth as well. Because I, <laughs> I think, uh, you're right in terms of, I'm not sure who it's for, but I think be, in terms of a craft and uh, how, how the film looks, you know, I think I would encourage people to see it. And I think three seems like a an even score for it. Helen? Yeah, I mean, there's just so much love gone into this, um, even if the love has made it slightly uneven in places. And I agree that it's probably a bit dark and a bit long and too many strands to be entertaining for children on a, a level that it really deserves. And then because it kind of is still a children's kind of story, adults may overlook it. So it does kind of sit in a strange sort of space. But I mean, we've talked about the animation is just so delightful that it would be a shame for you not to see it just because we don't really know what the filmmakers were thinking, who their audience was when they were doing it. And it is, it does feel like, you know, it's, it's love is on, on the screen. So um, I'm going to go a little bit high. I'm going 3.75 for recommendability. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to go I'm going to say as you, Helen. I think it's an astonishing film to watch. Um, I don't think it is. I don't. I don't think it is for kids at all. But the fact you have the main 
character or the title character being someone who wants to be a boy does make people think right this is this is one for for kids and get the kids in there but you know none of the storyline really is for them um you have candlewick and his father's storyline which is which is tragic and Mussolini, that's not, you don't want Mussolini in a kid's film in any way, shape or form. What the hell's going on there? Beat her on fire. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's, this isn't a kid's film. Uh, but nominally it's, it's a kid's film because it's Pinocchio and they, you know, they've seen them like skipping school and like going off to the circus and, and dancing. And I've got no strings is what people think are going to be there. Um, yeah. So 3.75, repeat viewing score. Tom. I, I will watch this film again. Uh, I'll want to watch it more and see all the little details that I missed the first time around. Uh, I wish the damn songs were better because when you think about rewatching a film <laughs> that has songs, often you think, oh, I'll just go watch that musical number again. But they're all so dreadful uh, and so kind of poorly integrated. <laughs> uh, so I think the highest I can go is like 4.65. I mean- 4.65. I, th- I thought you were going to, the highest I can go is two. I thought oh, you were going to no, say something no, no, some stuff. It's such a feast. I will really enjoy watching this again. I, I might fast forward or even just, just turn the sound off uh, when the uh, when the songs are on. Robert. I quite like the songs. Now I feel like it. Now <laughs> I think about it, I just think they're kind of oddly catchy and warm. Um, but you're right in terms of, I'm not going to go back to. I would. I might go back to one of the songs, but it's not something that you'd be. It's not like Greece, for example, where you're kind of. You could play it in the background and no one would judge you. Um, <laughs> it's very difficult because I agree with Tom that there are so many little details in the film, and it it does. It does warrant repeat viewing just to have a look at them and and kind of view it and appreciate it on screen, but the story lacks a little bit. So I think I'm going to go for a two point nine nine. Helen, mm, I can't really remember the songs. I can just remember them being in it, but That's I can't really problem. remember the vibes. Yeah, um, it's way too long for me to want to watch this like multiple times. Um, I think the only chance I'd probably watch it if, if someone was like, hey, I've not seen it, shall we watch it? And I'd be like, yeah, all right, maybe. Um, <laughs> the songs aren't that great, but um, yeah, I think it's just a bit too long for a, a, about the the bit inside the, the whale, the sea creature. I was a bit like, <sighs> kind of felt a bit bloated. So um, I'm going to go two for a repeat. Yeah, I will watch it at some point, but I think I'd need to, how often I watch it, well, what I will do is watch the documentary first of the making of um, and understand a bit more about it before at least pressing play um, for that first time. And quite luckily, Carlos's scenes are at the start, so that'll probably be the focus of my attention. And if I decide to pursue, that might be um, a surprise to all of us. So was that three for you, Helen? Two. Two. Yeah, uh... Yeah, let's go for two. Mirroring Helen uh, for the first two scores. Small screen score, Tom. I wish I'd seen this uh, when I had the chance on a big screen. I think it would have been an extraordinary world to lose myself in. Uh, I think it works on the small screen, but it would definitely have been uh, more impressive on the big screen. So, yeah, mm. I kind of, I kind of, I, I like this film so much, and I feel like I'm, I'm the one who's like the biggest champion of it. But I, I don't want to just give everything a five. Uh, and I think. Uh, 3.75. Robert. 
I think this is a film that does warrant watching it on a big screen just because of the color palette, the design, but then it does work on a TV. Um, I think I'm going to go for about a 3.5. Helen? Yeah, I I would not have gone to see this at the cinema. I'm just a bit, it has to be quite a big push or I have to kind of be coaxed out to the cinema to see animation. I don't know why it is. Like I, I do enjoy watching it, but it's not a big draw for me um so i quite i quite enjoyed watching it at home um and yeah i got the little making of at the end added on to me which i i probably wouldn't have seen had it not auto played so um a five for me for small screen oh wow okay um would i have seen this in the cinema probably i think it was i think it i think this definitely would benefit from me in a big on a big screen um so yeah, let's go for three, three for me. Um, engagement, Tom. Uh, well, this is easy for me. This is a five. I was just completely caught under this film's spell as soon as it began, uh, and remained that oh, wow. way until the end. Uh, I don't think I even uh, paused it. I don't think I even got up, went to the loo. Uh, it's. Uh, I just thought it was remarkable, absolutely remarkable. Yeah, easy five. Robert. Ah, uh, I don't want to be the sort of like poopy on Tom's parade, but I think it's going to be hey, about. Listen, you like what you, you like what you like. That's true. That's true. Okay, yeah. I think I'm going to go for about a one point seven five. I know that's very low and it seems very harsh, but it's just it's not enough. I take it all back, Rob. You are dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's the the opening is what catches me, but then I don't think I'd stay to watch to carry on watching. And it at times it does feel very difficult to get through certain scenes because you you don't know what it's going for and it does take a bit of time to get to uh, what it wants to be and what it wants to tell. Um, I just find it a little bit. I don't know if I'd be able to sit down and again and watch it uh, anytime soon. Helen. So I think definitely for about an hour and a half it had me at like high fours. And then sort of in the last 20 minutes, I was a bit, how long can it keep going? Like, there must be an end. There must be an end. Like, does he, be, does he become a real boy? He must be. Or like, <laughs> does it end really horribly? Um, and yeah, so with that, it averages out as 3.7. That's decent. Um, I I had to watch this in multiple sittings. Again, I think it's just inherent kind of Pinocchio problem with me where I think he's a bit of an idiot. And at the start of the film, that's where, you know, those kind of colours really shine through and like skipping school and speaking back to his dad and saying he's going to be like Carla, but then he's not. And I'm like, oh, come on, dude. But then towards the end where, you know, he saves Geppetto, there's like, there's some tough, there's some tough scenes at the end there. Sort of like so a, it was more, sort of like I was actually more engaged the towards the end of it. Uh, and actually, he's oh, sort of like a newborn at the beginning. Uh, because mm. he's just not, got no conception of where anything is. And that reminds me, in our rundown of great stop-motion films, we didn't mention The Nightmare Before Christmas. And actually, oh, yes. uh, yeah. what's this? Uh, the much better song that Jack Skellington sings <laughs> is sort of the same. Uh, it's it's as uh, Pinocchio's initial confrontation with the world and trying to discover what all these things are that are so unfamiliar to him. Um, but, so conversely to Helen, I was actually more engaged towards the end than I was at the start. Um, but still I was chopping and changing. I was, you know, 
maybe watching like five different sittings just for various different reasons, not necessarily just the film. But yeah, I'm going to give it 2.5. And that gives us an overall score of 3.33375. Lower than I thought it was going to be. Well, does that bird well for the Academy Awards? Um, Guys, you'll know by the time this comes through. But I would have given Marcel the Shell four, five, 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 all the way through. (laughs) I voted for Marcel the Shell. Uh, Tom, Robert, can you tell us where we can find you guys online? Tell us about your books, your podcasts, and we'll say goodbye to the listeners. Uh, yes, if you like Star Trek, you can follow my Trek A Day project, uh, which is on Twitter. I'm at Tom Selinsky or on my blog, tomsolinsky.co.uk slash blog. Uh, and if you like Oscars, then go to Best Pick Pod uh, or just type Best Pick either into your podcast app of choice or into uh, Amazon or your bookseller of choice where you can get the book version. And you can Robert. find me on Twitter at CII Podcast, which is uh, short for Creative Industry Insight Podcast, where we talk to various crew members um, about their roles on different films and TV shows. We've got a few episodes coming up with the crew from The Last of Us, and then hopefully we get some more crew later around the line. I just don't want to say who, just in case I jinx it, and then I look, I've got egg on my face. <laughs> well, fantastic, guys. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, and thank you very much for bringing Pinocchio to us, Tom. Thank you. Thank you very much. See you later. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixwatcherPod on Twitter and we're at Flixwatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you. You just heard a stripped media production. 